Thank you very much, Marianne. And uh, welcome all the newcomers. Thank you everybody who's of service. And um, it's always an honor and a privilege to participate in Marijuana Anonymous at any service level. Um, and, you know, I, I'm so grateful that I get to share my experience, strength and hope with you guys because it keeps me sober and uh, it keeps me clean, it keeps me away from picking up and using. And um, yeah, I just like to take a nice deep breath and, and um, allow my higher power to, to guide me in, in this share with you guys. Um, a little bit about myself. I was born in Havana, Cuba. Um, in 1956, I, I came to the United States when I was very young, when I was four years old. And um, I came to a new country. There were different customs here. You guys spoke a different language. Everything was, was new and different. And uh, I didn't know what, what to expect. As a, as a four-year-old, you'd think that I, I, I wouldn't remember too much from from that age but I remember I remember when my mom was dressing me on my bed and I asked her where we were going and she said oh, we're moving and um, I, I, I didn't understand that it was just such a, a, a stark change in my life and there was a lot of fear and a lot of secrecy around our move because communist Cuba was not a very safe place to be and um, I remember I couldn't say anything. I couldn't say goodbye. I couldn't, I couldn't talk to, to um, um, my, my, my maid, my, my housekeeper, my nanny. Um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't say my goodbyes. I just, everything had to be very, very quiet. And um, I, re I remember coming to this country and feeling different apart from finding it hard to communicate with you because of the language barrier. And um, all I wanted to do was to fit in and to figure out how, how to belong and, and how to be like you guys. Um, I started learning the language through association. I remember going to school and seeing pictures of, you know, we had the red book and the blue book and remember starting to learn the language by association, seeing a picture of a mother and, you know, in my mind, I'd say, oh, madre, and there was mother in English. And so that's how I started to learn. And through immersing myself, through going to school and only hearing English, I started picking up the language. And, and soon I was, I was just like you guys. I, I started speaking English. And there was, you know, a little bit of ridicule at the beginning. Um, as a Cuban refugee, I wasn't totally embraced. Um, but little by little, I started, I started changing. I started, I started changing myself to be like you so that I, I would fit in more. And, and that seemed to be a theme in my life as, as I continued growing up and, and I wanted to be cool and I wanted to be like, like everybody else. And I wanted to be part of the club and, um, you know, there was there was that point in my life when I grew up a little bit, and I was a teenager, and um, 
something happened in, in Miami, Florida, where I lived, where there was forced busing and I had to um, move to California. Well, I didn't have to. I had a choice. My mom um, gave me a choice. I could either go to Catholic school or I could move to Los Angeles and live with my uh, aunt and uncle in L.A. because um, we were being forced to bus into another uh, city and into another school where our school was two blocks down the street. And this was the Brown versus Brown um, era. And we were going to be forced to uh, be bused into a school that was way out of the way. And it was, you know, the government's way of trying to integrate schools. So I moved to California when I was 14 by myself. And um, that was really, um, I had a chance to redefine myself, make up stuff about myself. Nobody knew who I was. I told people I was American. I was Cuban. Um, I said, you know, that I had really a cool brother and I had a nerdy brother. Um, I just wanted to be hip, slick, and cool. That's what I wanted. And um, I remembered that the kids that were really cool were the kids that hung out at nutrition and smoked pot. And uh, those are the kids that I wanted to gravitate to because they were the cool kids. And um, so that's where I went. And that's what started me in my um, using of marijuana. And I remember the first time I used was, um, I don't know if I even got high, you know, but I pretended that I did. Um, and I, I, I started seeing that I was being somebody other than who I truly was and the facade that I was, I was uh, starting to build and the varnish that I was starting to put on who I really was. I, I started to see that I was painting on layers and layers of, of something false, something that was other than who I truly was. And, um, you know, I was lucky because through it all, um, I did have one, one true, honest aspect of who I was. And I, I was a dancer. When I was very young in elementary school, one of my PE teachers um, noticed that I was very talented in dance and I was uh, connected to a classical ballet teacher. And I, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship and I, I learned classical ballet and I kept dance as, as one of my disciplines that kind of kept me on the straight and narrow, even though I was, um, you know, one of the party kids, I, I always was very disciplined about my dance. And, um, that's, that's, I think, what, what was always my saving grace. You know, I knew that with my dance, I had that opportunity to be who I really was and to create and to allow myself to express the, the deepest sides of, of my soul. And um, I'm so grateful that that, that gift. Um, was honored in, in, and I was, I was so grateful that somebody uh, noticed my talent and so grateful that even today that's been a, 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 a root grounding aspect of, of my personality and who I am. But, um, you know, my first, my first real clash with using marijuana was 
when I went to the Rolling Stones concert and um, I, I was going out with one of the coolest kids in, in school who was the, the, the drug dealer. And um, I remember I was not, re- I was kind of a, you know, novice because my parents were very, very strict and I, I couldn't smoke at home and my brother would always tattle on me. So, you know, I, I, I remember when we went to the Rolling Stones concert, I lied to my parents about where I was going. I, I, I told my parents I was spending the night at a girlfriend's house and I actually went to the Rolling Stones concert and I remember drinking Boone's Farm strawberry wine and then we did Coke and then we smoked all day long. The concert was maybe at four and I started partying at 12. And by the time the Rolling Stones came on and they were not even, you know, three songs into their first set, I was not doing well. And I had to kind of fumble down out of the uh, seats of the auditorium and, and just kind of wind myself down into the bathroom, leaning against the walls, just, you know, trying to stand up and puking my brains out. And as I was trying to navigate my, my way back to the, to the uh, seats, I had no idea where I was. Everything was spinning and I felt myself sliding down that wall and the next thing I know, um, I was on a gurney. Lights were in my eyes. The paramedics were taking me to the hospital. And um, I had overdone it a little bit. Um, and my parents came and my mom slapped me across the face. And how could I have humiliated her that way? And um, I remember it was just awful from that point forth going to school after that was just awful because my brother was assigned uh, as my guardian and every little move that I made he would tell on me if I was hanging out with the wrong people I mean I was really really watched carefully after that but I still you know tried to manage to to do my thing and and, you know I I I was a little bit of um, a radical I um I wanted to be part of, you know, I just wanted to be cool. And uh, my parents were very, very protective. Um, I grew up with a lot of fear because of, you know, where we came from. And, you know, in Cuba, if you were against the government and you said anything against the government, they would imprison you. They'd put you up against the wall. They'd, they'd assassinate you. They had firing squads. And that's why we left. And uh, my mom, when she first came to this country, she was very, very against the drug culture because I came here in 62. So I grew up in the 60s and the 70s and the the drug culture and, you know, the hippies. And that was just such a big part of of my uh, growing up. And my parents would always say, you know, that's that's communism. That's the way that they like to um, uh, break down society. And as soon as they break down society, um, and they can brainwash the youth and they can, you know, step in and, and create, you know, the, the communist system that, that they want. And, you know, the hippies talked about communes and, you know, free love, and we can all take care of each other. And, you know, um, 
I, I started learning why my parents were the way they were. And I started seeing, you know, their side of things. And I, and I kind of understood, I knew, I always knew they loved me, but um, I, I, I just felt like I was being smothered and I was always trying to, to, to be my own person. And I was such a creative person that I was always trying to run away. So finally, when I was 18 years old, I um I left home and one of the things that I remember so so vividly when I left home was oh, wow now I can finally smoke pot anytime I want whenever I want however many times I want and that's exactly what I did and um I I very very quickly um became a professional dancer I went to to college for a very short time and I dropped out because I started dancing professionally um, when I was 18 years old and I got a lot of movies. I got a lot of commercials. I got a lot of theater gigs. I got, you know, I, I was lucky. I, I worked, I worked as a professional dancer and I was right in the middle of Hollywood and there was a lot of parties. And um, that's, that's where I felt like I, my life really started unraveling for me and and it really started becoming unmanageable. Um, I, I had a lot of missteps in in those days in my early twenties, and um, I put myself in many many dangerous situations. And uh, I I started thinking this this is not good. My life is 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 not right. You know I have so many talents. I have so much potential and, and I'm not, I'm not realizing my potential. I, I got to stop, you know, I got to stop smoking so much pot. I got to stop partying so much. Um, but drinking and, and using marijuana was really just what I did. And uh, I started feeling that, that sense of powerlessness many, many times. Um, I was sexually very provocative and, um, and I and I used my sexuality um, to get what I wanted, and and I weaponized my sexuality, and I hurt a lot of people, but I was hurt too, and um, it, it things really started unraveling for me in that in that vein, and um, uh, I started I started losing you know all aspects of stability in my life financially, sexually. Um, relationship-wise, morally, I was just, you know, ripped apart at the seams. The fabric of, of the sense of who I was was starting to just fall apart. And um, I wanted so desperately to to find serenity that, that, you know, I thought maybe if I found a relationship and I would just, you know, find the right guy, everything would be okay. And um, you know, I ended up getting pregnant and, um, and I got married and, um, my life kind of settled a little bit. It wasn't the hard party, um, that it used to be, but I was still, I was still smoking pot. And, um, finally when, when I, when I did get pregnant and I, and I, and I was a young mom, I did cut back a lot more. And, and the man that I chose to marry was an alcoholic. So, things got really bad with, with that. And, um, I ended up going to Al-Anon and, and for the first time 
was introduced to the 12 steps. And I thought, hmm, really interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, can, I can see where I'm, I'm an enabler. The reason I'm an enabler is because I don't want anybody telling me I can't smoke pot. Um, so I started looking at that side of, of me and, and how I really needed to examine my own um, inability to stop drinking and using. And so I started going to AA. I, um, I ended up getting a divorce, and that was probably one of my hardest, hardest times in my life. And the only thing that saved me, I think, in that, in that time was I did find um, the steps, 12 steps. I ended up walking into uh, AA um, 25 years ago in 1993, and I, I got sober. I got clean. I got sober. I started working these steps. I found a sponsor. Um, my life started getting better. Um, things started to fall into place. Um, I started being of service. I came in. I made the coffee. I set up chairs. I did clean up. Um, I, I started being of service at all levels. Um, I, 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 would, I would speak. If somebody asked me to do something, I would say yes. Um, if, um, you know, I was asked to share, I would say yes. If I was asked to, you know, be GSR, I said, I, I said yes. I said yes. And um, I, I was a living example of what this program is all about because I saw how my life turned around. I saw how I was no longer in turmoil. I, I didn't have a headache anymore. That was the one thing that I remember. I always remember having this constant headache. And it, it was like this chatter never, ever stopped in my head. It just kept going and going and going. And, and, and I was always feeling like I was this worthless piece of, you know, what? Because I had done so many awful things in my life. And, you know, I, um, I was brave enough to sit down and do an inventory and go over all the things that I had done in my life and, and, and look, look at the patterns that I had created in my life. And, and, um, it was not, it was not an easy thing to do, but I did it, you know, it, it, it really made me see, you know, why I, I used and, and why I picked up. There was so much pain in my heart. I remember this, this sensation in, in the pit of my stomach. And I remember identifying when I first came into the room when, when somebody would say, you know, there was just this hole in my heart. There was this hole in the pit of my stomach that I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to fill it and, and nothing that I did could fill it. And I identified with that. There was no, no drug. There was no drink. There was nothing that could fill that because I felt this unworthiness. I was, I was just, I, I somewhat hated myself, but you know, I found out what that reason was. I found out the reason behind that emptiness when I did my inventory and, you know, it's hard for me to share this sometimes, um, but it's a very, very big part of my story. You know, I, um, one of the reasons that, that I know I behaved in the way that I behaved is because when I wanted to be part of, when I wanted to be like you, when I wanted to be part of the club, when I was four years old, I remember my brother was playing with a, a teenage 
neighbor of ours and, and they had this fort and I wanted so much to be part of the club and I kept bugging them. I want to be part of the club. I want to be part of the club. And they said, no, you can't, you can't, you can't. And finally they got so sick and tired of me pushing my way through here. I was four years old. I wouldn't leave my brother alone. I wouldn't leave this teenage kid alone. I wanted to be part of the club. Okay. Okay. Well, if you want to be part of the club, then you have to go through this initiation. And so I went through the initiation and what I didn't know was that the initiation meant that I had to pull my dress up and I had to be sexually molested. And at four years old, I didn't know what that was. I, I felt for the first time there was this separation between who I really was, this innocent being who just wanted to be part of. And then all of a sudden something was happening to me and there was this separation. There was this, this thing. It was almost like an out-of-body experience. And, and I couldn't say anything because I was told that I wasn't allowed to say anything about that. And I kept that secret. I kept that secret for many, 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 many years. And um, I finally did tell my mom about it when, when I was nine years old. There was something that happened that made me tell my mom about it because my, my brother came to me and he, and he was, you know, harassing me. And he said, you know, that, you know, babies are made when, when a man and a woman, you know, do it. And I said, nah, nah. And, and the first thing I thought of was, oh my gosh, I have a baby that is growing inside of me. And I told my mom and, um, and she got mad at me. She, she didn't, she didn't get mad at me that, that, that's what happened. She got mad at me that I didn't tell her when it happened. And so I was admonished and, and I was, you know, nine years old. I was told that, you know, I did something wrong because I didn't tell. And so the fear of telling a secret is always something that has been so deeply embedded in my DNA. So when I came to AA and when I came to Marijuana Anonymous, and I found that I had to tell my deepest, darkest secrets to somebody. That was really, really scary. But I did. I did. And what ended up happening was um, I, it, it, it was removed. The, the burden of carrying that secret was removed. And then I, I was able to look back at my life and, and I was able to forgive myself. And I was able to forgive Henry, the, the boy who did that to me. He was 13. What does he know? 13 years old. And I was able to forgive my brother. You know, he was six years old. I mean, you know, we were kids. Um, I was able to get through that awful, awful part, that block. There was a blockage in in my growth, in my spiritual growth, in my emotional growth. And and that's why I couldn't stop using. And um so I was very grateful that that I got I got through the steps and, and I did my inventory and I was able to to do my sixth step and, and ask that God remove all my shortcomings and, and my defects and and lift them from me. And, and I was able to make my amends to all the men that I had hurt in my life. And, and, and those that I couldn't, I wrote letters and, you know, I, I, I left all that behind me. And, 
Um, I, those that I couldn't make amends to, I, I had written a list and I just burned it up. My, my sponsor said, just, you know what we would do with this? We just burn it up. That's all we do with this. It doesn't matter anymore. You're letting it go. And so I did that, you know, and, and then after I, I did my eighth, you know, after I did my, 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 my seventh and my eighth step, you know, I was able to say, God, I pray that you now remove from me every single defective character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and to my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. And it was removed. And um, I, I kept coming to, to the meetings. I kept going. I kept speaking. I kept doing everything that I needed to do, except I never worked with a sponsee ever. And then my sponsor died. And um, I gradually stopped going to meetings. And um, I thought I could do this by myself. And I remember visiting my very dear, dear, best, 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 best girlfriend in Miami one year. And I hadn't had a drink in seven years. And she said, oh, here, you know, we have some Chardonnay, have some. I said, oh, no, 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 I don't drink anymore. She goes, you're not an alcoholic. And I said, you know what? You're right. And I took a drink. And, um, and then it was a slow, progressive um, procession. <laughs> of one drink leading to another drink, leading to more drinks, leading to me drinking every night, leading to me having drinks uh, more than just wine uh, every weekend, going sailing, drinking in the morning. Uh, and, you know, I, I really started drinking. And um, I never think, thought of myself as the drunk on the street. You know, I always thought of myself as a high-functioning alcoholic. And... Um, in a high functioning marijuana addict. Cause I, if you look from the outside in, I had, I had my life together. I was, you know, I was still in, in my profession of dancing. I was a teacher at this point, you know, I had, I, I owned dance studios, wellness studios. I, you know, I was a businesswoman. I, um, I, I, I did well for myself. I, you know, I, I, I was highly functioning, but I knew, I was walking a dangerous, a dangerous path. And then uh, 10 years ago, this time of year, November, I was going through a really hard time. My mom was, was getting older and I was taking care of her. And my mom and I never really had a very good relationship. It was a very tumultuous relationship. Um, I know that she loved me and I loved her, but it was really a hard relationship. Um, and she was living with me at the time and, you know, my brothers were at my throat and it was just not a very good time for me. And I went to this, this Thanksgiving dinner and they pulled out pot. I hadn't had pot in 15 years because see, when I picked up that drink, I knew that, you know, in the back of my mind, I never thought of myself as an alcoholic. When I went into AA, I told people, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. Um, I, but I do smoke a lot of pot. And they told me, just change alcohol to marijuana every time you hear it in the big book. And I said, okay. And it worked for me. Um, so I knew when I picked up that drink that I could not pick up pot, um, except something happened. And they say in the program that as you are, you know, busy trying to keep the program and trying to stay on the straight and narrow, your addiction is in the parking lot doing push-ups. And uh, I think of my addiction as a, a panther waiting to pounce, and it did. 
and uh, it was almost the same scenario. The pot was there, and somebody said, do you want a hit? And I said, I'll take a hit. And I knew, I knew that that was a train wreck waiting to happen because it took me 10 years to get back in here. And again, you know, it was a slow progression. You know, it was one hit and it was fine. And then um, the opportunity came again and, and again. And pretty soon my friends saw that I liked it, so they gave it to me. You know, oh, here, here's some pot and here's a pipe because we know you like it. And, uh, and then I remember visiting my friends that had it a lot. And uh, they'd always say, well, why don't you take some with you? You know, oh, no, 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 no. If I take some with me, I, I know what's going to happen. I'll just, I'll just start smoking it, you know. And pretty soon I started taking it. And then pretty soon I started asking my kids for it. And then pretty soon I felt so embarrassed about that that I went and got a marijuana card. And then I started buying it. And then I'd be rationing it. And then I'd smoke it morning, noon, and night. And then I'd say, okay, I'm not going to smoke today. I'm just not going to smoke today. And I couldn't do it. I had to smoke every day when I woke up before my feet hit the ground. I had my vape pen right next to my nightstand. And I'd take a hit. And I'd get up early, 4.30 in the morning. And then I'd proceed to make my coffee just to balance things out. And I'd sit and I'd meditate because I found God a long time ago. I've been a seeker for many, many years. And when I was a teenager, I found Paramahansa Yogananda. And I've, you know, I've, I've meditated for many, many years. And I've never had a problem with a higher power, except for me. I would always step in and uh, interfere with that higher power because I needed to take control. I knew what was best for me. Um, I was managing and controlling and um, I can do things on my own. I don't need your help. Um, and and I'm not going to tell you how I really feel because, you know, if I tell you, then I'm going to be admonished. And if I tell you, then I, you know, there's, there's this fear that if I tell you, I'm going to be hurt. And so I keep things to myself. But I was to the point where now I had grandkids. I'm in my 60s now. And uh, not again. I kept saying that to myself. I'm not going to do the same thing again. I did get clean and sober when my kids, you know, were about six and eight. And I'm glad I I stayed sober all the way through pretty much until they became adults. But away and I stayed away from pot um but when I had my grandkids I thought I can't do this again I don't I I cannot be out when my grandkids are in and um you know something happened where I was with my grandkids and I and I snuck a, a, a hit and I was feeling really high and I had the responsibility of taking care of my grandkids and um, I was at the museum playing with them, and there was a little kids area, and I got real bad cotton mouth, and I, and I, you know, I, I had to go get a drink, and it was downstairs, and my grandson didn't want to come with me. My granddaughter was the baby, so I just picked her up, and I, there was this other mom with her child there, or a grandma with her 
her grandson there and I said, hey, could you please watch, you know, my grandson real quick. I'll be right back. And I went and I, and I took a drink. I couldn't, I couldn't bear it anymore. And as I was down there, I was paranoid as can be thinking, oh my God, what if that woman takes my grandkid and what am I going to say to my daughter? I was just so paranoid. And how could I have done that? Just left my, you know, grandchild with a stranger like that. So I knew I was, I knew I was headed down that, that, pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization again. And I started looking online, started looking online for marijuana, marijuana. And I, and I kept saying marijuana is good for you. Cannabis is great for you. This is just the best thing since sliced bread. And I thought, geez, you know, what am I going to do here? Um, I started walking back into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I started walking back into the rooms of Al-Anon because I have people around me that, that have substance abuse problems. And, and I started getting, you know, the 12 steps again. And finally I ran into marijuana anonymous and, um, 300 days ago today, I have 300 days today and 300 days ago today, I, um, I finally got down on my knees and, and I prayed and I said, I, I can't do this alone. Um, I came into these rooms a little bit, you know, earlier. I came into these rooms around August. It took me a while. I stumbled a couple times. I stumbled a couple of times because I couldn't be honest with you. Um, that's why before I started my share today, I really, I asked higher power to please just, just guide me. Just guide my truth. Guide my honesty because I need to stay clean and I need to stay sober. I don't have another chance left in me. I'm 62 years old. I'm a grandmother. I'm a businesswoman, a member of my community. And people look up to me. People come to me for help. I own a wellness studio. I give people advice on how to stay healthy. And it was, it was, tormenting me it was tormenting me that I couldn't stay healthy myself at the end as I was hacking up whatever it was that I was hacking up I knew that I was not healthy my friends that that were so dear and so close to me that that smoked were dying um I had friends that had their their tongues cut out because of cancer I have friends that had their throat, their esophagus, and their vocal cords cut out because they got throat cancer. I don't know if it was the marijuana, but I smoked a lot with those people, and uh, and I and I started I started praying to God, you know, please, you know, remove remove this this illness that I have, and and guide me. And, um, you know, higher power guided me to, to find MA. And as I read Life with Hope and I read the stories, I identified with everybody and everything in those stories. And um, I don't know how much more time I have here, Marianne, um, but, but I'll start winding down um, and just say that, that I'm grateful to be here. Um, today, higher power guides my every move. Before I act, I just pause. Um, 
I make mistakes. And when I make a mistake, I go back and I mend it. I tell the people around me how much I love them and how much I appreciate them, how much I appreciate the things they do for me. And how blessed I am, how blessed I am that I have a beautiful family, beautiful kids, beautiful grandkids, a beautiful home. I have prosperity. I have my health. And I have you guys who I can come to to share my experience, strength, and hope. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for letting me share. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Clarita. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story tonight. 